0: Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. wow What the fuck? And it's also... Eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the
1: fuck? With Mark Marin.
0: Alright, let's do this. How are you what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the ears? What the fucksters? What the fucking ham palace guards? <laughs> there you go, UK. There's one for you. Uh, and it seems like that's all I'm going to do today. Uh, welcome to the show. I am Mark Maron. This is my show. This is WTF with Mark Marin that you're listening to now. Welcome. How are you? I hope your jog is going well. I hope your drive is going well. I hope you can live through another day in your cubicle with me saying hello to you. Hello. Well, do the old Marty Allen. Hello there. Hello, people, and oh, well, if you're lifting weights, be careful. You know, don't don't overdo it. If you're walking with your dog, give him a pat on the head, and say that's from Mark. Uh, look, we have a, 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 a we have a couple of guests, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, Jim Gaffigan's going to be here today for a few minutes to talk about, you know, Gaffigan stuff, his book and whatnot, and then Martin Starr, who I talked to for an hour. I enjoy gaffing, and I want you all to know that when somebody like Jim comes by to talk about his new book, it's not a paid spot. It's because, uh, you know, Jim's got like 900 children, and, uh, well, not 900, but at least five, and he's a hilarious guy, and he's an old friend, and he wants to come by and uh, talk a little bit and talk about his new book. I'm like, sure, buddy. Anything I can do to help you maintain this incredibly unrealistic life you've gotten yourself into by continuing to produce children? And he loves them very much. I'm just saying you got to help a guy out. There's people who are broke. Then there's people that, you know, they got to, you know, it's like, you know, Papa Jim's never going to be able to stop. But uh, all that aside, uh, I always like talking to Jim and uh, he'll be by in a few minutes. And then Martin Starr, that was an interesting conversation. Wasn't sure where that was going to go or how that was going to work out. You don't think about Martin Starr and think like, boy, that guy never stops talking, but uh but he was great sweet guy, uh, interesting life and there was a lot of stuff to uh, to to learn about him and to you know put some some other things together about some of uh, the shows that he was involved with like Freaks and geeks and Party down and other things and where he went and what he's up to now with Silicon Valley. but it was uh, he was an intense guy and I, I really liked talking to him. He asked me to do something with him and I, I didn't I didn't follow it up on that. So maybe I should call him. I don't have to do it right now, but, uh, but perhaps I should do that soon. Hey, you know, um, it's weird. I talk to people about jury duty. Like I, get, I get summoned for jury duty, and I freak out. I'm like, I, what, I got to be on the road? I, gotta, I got work, my work. It seems to me that maybe, maybe I'm mistaken, but it seems to me when the original idea of jury duty was put together, they you know, anticipated people primarily worked in town. A lot of times, my work is not about town. A lot of times, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in the balance. There's scheduling and stuff, and and I uh, and I freak out. It's the last thing I want to do, but there's part of me that really wants to do it. The one time that I called in to uh, serve, uh, it was over like it, it was a it was the December, and there was just no trials going on, so I got off then. But I was sort of ready to do it. But this time, I you do get a few postponements when you're in the racket I'm in. And maybe everybody does. I don't want to say I'm special. But uh, so I, I just got the summons and I freak out and I go, I say to my friends, I'm like, what do you guys do with this jury thing? And everybody I talk to is like, man, I just don't respond to it. I'm like, but you could, you're, you're a bad American. You're a shitty American. You just don't respond to it. You just leave them hanging, so they just shoot these summons out into the wilderness, hoping they'll get somebody. And I think that's true. I think they're like relatively desperate for people to show up. But I do feel it's my responsibility. But not unlike many responsibilities in my life, I'd like to you know push it down the road a piece until I got no choice, and then I will do it. So, uh, so I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. I'm still Ebola free. Which I'm happy to report. I hope everybody else is doing as well. Again, um, I know it's been a tough few days for for you, uh, self-centered people with mild flu-like symptoms, and the people that are in real trouble, or real panic. Uh, I'm sorry you're going through that, but I, um, I, as as far as I know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm still Ebola-free. Going on a, you know, going on 51 years. So Jimmy is in town. Jim Gaffigan was here, and he's like, he said, uh, "Why don't we talk for a while?" And I'm like, "All right." So we talked for like an hour and a half, and I told him it's going to be a while before I get that up. And uh, he said, well, "I got a book coming out," and I'm like, "All right, well, so why don't we talk specifically about the book and uh, and about the 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 incredible um, weight? Not to, not that he's chubby, but I just mean like you know, he's got." He, 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 he's a worker, man. He is definitely a worker. Uh, Jim Gaffigan's book, Food, A Love Story, comes out tomorrow, October 21st, and uh, we chatted for a bit. So let's, uh, let's go to me and Jim Gaffigan chatting. Jim, thank you. Like, it's, it's
1: nice of you to come by, but I got to say that uh, it's weird that you're, you're going door to door with the book. Well, you know, I just think it's, I think this is an important community out here. And uh, you But know, it's not
0: even, it's just out today, and uh, shouldn't you be doing something else? I mean, I, I understand that. No, no, that you,
1: it's, it's, I also, the, I'm also giving WTF stickers. Well, okay, well, thank you, you for know, doing that. You it's like Food, Love Story, and WTF yeah. stickers, and also Stamps.com. You had
0: to write this book, though. Stamps.com. I, I, oh, thank you. Stamps <laughs> would be very happy. The, that's, uh, what is
1: my code? Stamps.com, uh, uh, code Mary, WTF. WTF. So are you using Stamps.com? Oh, I well, ever since I started listening to your podcast. <laughs> all right, all right. You know, there's two episodes that are yeah. dropped every week and uh, it's pretty impressive well thank you but that, well, now
0: the book like i kind of make fun of you sometimes because uh, you know when people go i go gaffigan's great he's one of the best comics working you know but he talks primarily about food yes and uh but you it, it it's it's funny
1: oh well thanks well you know it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's we all eat i think <laughs> we do all eat and i think there's something about uh the topic of food where i just stumbled into it where I mean, look—you you start off doing stand-up and you you try on different kind of personas, right? And you eventually just go back to the persona you had, right? Right. right. <laughs> but there was a moment where I was angry. I was smoking a cigarette. I oh, was more yeah. like a tell, and I was you know used energetic. To smoke. That's right. Yeah. And so then I came back to this guy who's just kind of this—he romanticizes laziness and uh-huh. the it, yeah. what I want. Yeah. And what I found with food is I could talk about food. And there wouldn't be any grimace in the audience of like, eh, I don't agree with this premise. Even I if find they, that with cats. It's bothering me. But r- you
0: can talk about animals and every, you're not going to have, everyone's going to be like,
1: oh. Oh, you, you know, it's interesting. I talk, I make a reference to saying that I'm a cat lover, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, I can feel some of the dog lovers going. all right, I guess we'll let it go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. But, but the thing with food is even if somebody is, you know, a longshoreman, or they they eat lobster every night. They they don't care if I don't like lobster. It's just it's just a vehicle for for jokes. And, and Do you it, like lobster? No, I don't. It's just bug meat. <laughs> because there's not a nickel's worth of difference between that and a scorpion. No, I get it. And, and what and about a, shrimp? Nothing. That's that's a cockroach. Yeah, I know. I, so cockroach. you really feel that way. Peel and eat. Yeah. That's a cockroach. Okay, yeah, but so you but know. you don't like the flavor? Or I you're... mean, I'll yeah, I'll eat it because <laughs> I'm a pig. I like butter. Yeah. I like cocktail sauce. You dip anything in cocktail sauce, you yeah, are pretty good. <laughs> so, it's but you know, the food thing, it's getting to the yeah. point where yeah. uh, you know, I want maybe this will be the the end of this chapter. Of what are you what are you talking story? about? You, I mean, I've, this book is 330 pages. It's like I've covered every topic. So what, food. you're saying you're retiring I'm, reti- I'm going. I'm going Garth Brooks from food. Really? No, no. Uh, of course not. What the hell would you talk about? Laziness and your kids sleep. Do you, do you, you don't know, do much about your kids? Do I you? try and I try and keep it to a minimum. Because, really? Because yeah, thought, why? Because Cause you thought maybe it's not. It'd be hard to find a new angle, or are you just protecting them. <laughs> Uh no, I'm protecting the audience. I was that 26-year-old in the audience watching comedians talk about their wife or husband and kids and I was like I don't want to hear it. So, Sometimes I Sometimes they it, need to hear it to learn. I so I'll do like I'll do like 5 minutes in a special about my wife and kids, but other than that it's like really, but that's odd because
0: like it's okay, romanticizing laziness. Food. I mean, I do lack hot of pockets. You lack know, of hot exercise. pockets is six
1: minutes, and you think that like when yeah, I talk to people, they're that. like, "It's your only joke." You know, some people think that.
0: Well, that's what landed. What do you can do? That your hot pockets was the, the 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 culture's gateway to you. It was a blessing, yeah, and a curse, right? Is that in the yeah. book? The hot pocket?
1: Have you, Yes, you that's the about? name of the chapter: blessing and curse. It is, yes, about the hot pockets bit. Yeah, you know, I was on, I was on CNN <laughs> on Veterans Day talking about <laughs> veterans' rights. Yeah. And on the icon below, Doug Stanhope sent me this picture. I think yeah, it was Doug. Yeah. No, it was somebody else. Yeah. And and my name was listed as Jim, quote, Hot Pockets, unquote, Gaffigan. That's how it was listed when I was talking about veterans' rights. So it's like it's there's a blessing and a curse, right? Right.
0: right. But do you still get – do people still call it out at the show? Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> do you do it? Yeah, I do it as an encore at the end. I don't care. They love it. Well, you know, it's, it's, I, I'll see, because, you know, I'll look at my audience, and sometimes there will be, you know, a 10-year-old mm-hmm. in the audience, in the front row, and he's just sitting there, and, you know, I can, talk for about, it? I can talk about weddings. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? but when I get to Hot Pockets at the end, it's all been worth it <laughs> for him. <laughs> I'm doing, it, doing it for the kids. No, well, you know, some of it is, it's just, you know, you you, you have a show with a beginning, a middle, and an end, sure. and there's a little bit of, like... Let's clean it up at the end. Something but I think like that it. I think that you're selling yourself short on the idea of exploring your personal life,
0: even if it's with kids, because I think that it makes an impact on young people. Because if something is funny, it's funny. Like right. even when I was a kid, I'd see older guys talk about their wives, and you'd still get a kick out
1: of it. And you know, somehow or another, it's going to. Oh, define I agree some with things. you. I agree with you. Yeah, but there there is something about, um, y- you know, you got to manage what you're. You know, you can't just. In my belief, you can't just make it kind of like, and this is what I think is interesting. Right. It has to be, you know, a show. There has to be, like, I have some jokes that I love that work in Brooklyn, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, they. I have, tw- I have like 10 pages yeah. of New York City jokes that maybe work on Long Island. Right. <laughs> but- you know, the bell house. Sure. I love doing them at the bell house. But they're not going out to- They're a, not going anywhere. They not, can't even, you know, I can do it maybe in the East Village. Yeah. Not Ohio, though. No. No. <laughs> no. But and this, they're not subway jokes but, but this
0: book will speak to everybody because it's about food. And there is a chapter in there about your struggle with the uh, the blessing and the curse of the Hot yes. Pockets bit. Yes. And your struggle with food in general.
1: Yeah, I would say, yeah. There's. I mean, it's not kind of like, I'm going to change my life. It's like, I like to eat. <laughs> It's one of the celebration. Yeah, like I write, you know, I wrote it with my wife, and she was like, "You should have a disclaimer at the end Mm -hmm. saying that you know that these thoughts are wrong." (laughs) Did you put that in? No, I didn't do that. You don't feel it's wrong, because look, we're all grownups here. We know we're not supposed to have a Big Mac every day. (laughs) I do, but you're not supposed to. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I mean, look, when I'm the guy who gave you a coupon for a free pint of Ben and Jerry's. That's right, and I'm the guy who took it. Yeah. And put it in his pocket so he wouldn't lose it. Yeah, you bet you won't. <laughs> so All right. Well well good luck with the book, man. I'm glad it's out now. Thanks so much. Yep.
0: I enjoy Jim. I enjoy him coming by. I liked I like that. I, I like I like seeing him. he's one of those guys that I, you know, was was around I was around when he started and you know, we've known each other. I've seen him through a lot of different weights and a lot of different uh I've seen him, you know, gradually. I, I remember Jim with hair. There's, you know, you know, it was it was nice to see him. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what I did is I watched this new someone sent me you know, people sent me shit and let me tell you something. I appreciate everything you send me. If you're sending me records and all that stuff, books, whatever it is, I appreciate it. Uh, it's gotten to a point where I don't know exactly how to thank everybody. I'm not always great at you know following up on email. Sometimes, if I like music, I'll tweet. I'll tweet about the music if I like it. I do generally listen to almost all the music that I get, and I do browse through the books and I do read the letters that you send, and I I appreciate it and it makes me feel good. And I'm glad that you guys enjoy the show, and I'm I'm also glad that you feel like um like. You can get stuff to me, and I'm and I'm glad that you think that that I'm going to love it, and and I'm going to say something about it on the podcast or tweet it. That's the gamble, though, really. You know, you're rolling the dice with that, and I think you know that. And I also want to tell you that sometimes I don't have room for everything. So if the stuff doesn't stick, or I don't say I love it, or I, I want this around, or I I'm not, you know, or I'm done giving it the shake it deserves. It will enter the ecosystem. It will enter the book system. It will enter the used record system. Just know that I, I, you know, I'm not running a warehouse here. I might need to open one because I am a bit of a pack rat. But someone sent me this Looking for Johnny, The Legend of Johnny Thunders. It's a, a documentary uh, about Johnny Thunders, the guitar player for the New York Dolls and the Heartbreakers, who I knew very little about, but always fucking loved his tone. And it, it is a fucking brutal story, man. It's uh it's it's brutal in the sense that, you know, he was a victim of himself. You know, drug addiction is is fucking mind blowing. But what what a there was a sweetness to this guy, man. It just holy fuck. There are some days where I am so grateful that I didn't get strung out on dope and that I didn't, you know, continue using drugs and that, you know, that I have a daily reprieve from this shit. But I, I but on, on another level, I'm I'm now becoming this guy, and yeah, this is I'm not proud of this, but I can't I can't uh, I, I'm traveling with a thermos of coffee now. Like I have to have a thermos of coffee in my car at all times. Granted, not the worst addiction in the world, but it's a little fucked up because I don't know if I'm getting the buzz I used to. I got the thermos of coffee, I got my nicotine lozenges, which I think I've had it. I think they're fucking up my body, and I've had this conversation with you guys before. You know. That I I want, I have the desire to kick, but it's the same shit. It ain't heroin, but man, I am definitely in I'll kick tomorrow mode, traveling around with my thermos of coffee, doing speed balls of nicotine lozenges and fucking coffee, crashing out at three because I can't keep my head up. I am on a drug cycle with this shit, and I'm not in denial about it. Obviously, it's relatively manageable. It's not ruining my life, but come on, man. A thermos of coffee. I'm leaving for the comedy store at eight at night to do a show with a fucking thermos full of coffee and I'm still going to sleep at night. It's crazy. I'm not Johnny Thunders. Okay. But, but, you know, I'm a little strung out and I enjoyed that uh, documentary. I'd like to thank whoever the hell sent it to me. I don't even know if it's out yet, but, but it's, uh, it was it was good man. If you like that period of music, that you know pre-punk New York thing and how you know the impact he had on on punk music and just his fucking tone on that Gibson Les Paul Junior, man, just spectacular. Let me give you a monkey report. Um I couldn't be more thrilled that my cat is doing well. He's not only doing well, he's like back to his like excited self he's running around he does this thing in the hallway where he does sort of this bobsled move or he runs down the hallway and when he turns the corner he runs up the wall a bit and then down he's just all full of juice and i'll tell you what i did man i just laid off him i didn't give him the second run of antibiotics because i thought he was spent and you know when he got sick and he started puking and i thought and he was deathly lethargic uh you know i went away for the weekend i had my friend watch him we come back and, uh, you know, I came back, and, you know, he was still kind of fucked up, and I was nervous, but now I got him on this urinary track food, and uh, and I'm very diligent about giving him the, you know, the wet food, and about, you know, giving him some love, and the guy's all full of the beans, he's back, he's back, monkey's back! Thank fucking God! Pow! I just shit my pants, Just Co-op available at wtfpod.com. If you get the WTF blend i go on the back end that's a classic it's a classic plug all right look uh this uh, interview with martin star was uh, very moving to me and it was it was nice to get to know him so i, I hope you enjoy it as well uh martin star and me talking where do you live i live here in, yeah uh in westwood oh you do in westwood yeah I don't think I've ever had anyone here uh, in here who lived in Westwood.
2: Now you have. It's a big day. <laughs> yeah. And that's just where you settled in Westwood? You're like- just, just the beginning of the new barriers we're about to break. Uh-huh. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, but where in Los Angeles? I was born at Santa Monica Hospital, St. John's. So you're always uh-huh. here? I've always, uh, I lived in Florida for one year, which was a terrible year of my life. That sounds like a good place to start. Oh, what man. year was that? Uh, I was fifteen. I had bought a dog in Los Angeles two months before we left. That was like a, a pit bull. Was
0: but, that after Freaks and Geeks?
2: Oh, way before. Well, not way before, but a, a year, few years, a year and a half. Your whole half. family moved to Florida? Just my dad and I. Oh, yeah. Uh, right after the divorce, or how'd that work? Uh, divorce was when they when I was four.
0: Okay. Yeah. so your dad what decides like we're going to Florida yeah,
2: he yeah, he <laughs> he he was getting remarried uh-huh and so his uh my stepmom is living in Florida, with, yeah with her um family mm mm-hmm. so she had three kids uh-huh this is where it gets a little complicated. She was also my aunt on whose side your mother's so is your there... my so my my mom and my dad mm-hmm um are married. Yeah. And my mom's brother, yeah, is also married. Okay. The two people not in that family uh-huh. of my mother and her brother mm-hmm. get married to okay. each other.
0: So your your father and I get it. Mhm. So that must cause some drama.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so It was bound to. So let's go back to the dog. Okay. Yeah. Uh well, so I just got a dog and I yeah. think the the most uh, I don't, it was just heart heartbreaking to have to leave this dog, but yeah, I, I bought it off the street from a homeless man who had clearly just stolen it yeah um, and i didn 't piece that moral decision together, but um, I basically stole a dog for five dollars <laughs> five dollar dog uh, five dollar stealer it 's a five dollar um, dog so I, I, I bought the dog, and then I had to give it up two months later before we moved to Florida. Oh, and uh, it's a heartbreak. The heartbreak. Yeah, it is kind of sad, though, right? It was sad. Yeah, I still think about that dog. It, it was this like beautiful white pit bull with a brown diamond on its forehead. Uh huh. Um, called a Casper. Okay. Really beautiful dog. And you
0: don't know what happened to the dog.
2: Uh, we gave the dog to a friend, and that guy took good care of it, as far as I know. You never checked back in. I, I, yeah, I mm. didn't really know the guy too well because we didn't know anyone that could take the dog. So right. it ended uh-huh. up being a friend of a friend. Right. But you, Okay, so you
0: found the dog a nice home, and then you go to Florida with your dad mm-hmm. for the worst year of your life.
2: It was pretty terrible, yeah.
0: Well, you're 14. I mean, that's a big... You're, you're, you're cognizant.
2: You're awkward. You're oh, in yeah. high school. And then you're the new kid. What part of Florida? I was 15 and uh, Tampa, middle of Florida. Yeah. Middle of the shaft. Familiar. Yeah, hanging flaccid dick of Florida. <laughs> um, it's just a terrible place. So, so not even a nice beach. No, they're like these murky, disgusting kind of waters that are warm year round. So I guess it's nice in the winter when it's 70. <laughs> yeah. But like in the summer when it's like 110, you don't want to be in warm water. It's <laughs> gross. It's like yeah. going into a bath. Yeah, it's disgusting. So what was, so like it was just an awkward year, miserable? Yeah, I I mean, I think we started off in the summer, one of the most memorable, terrible things that happened was I was lighting off fireworks, and yeah. perhaps this is my own karma to get myself into this place, but I was lighting off fireworks, and I just notice yeah. that my leg hurts a little bit, and I look down, and ants... Red fire ants had been coming up. I'd somehow stepped directly into a an ant pile, and they um just were running up my like there it was literally like just red, yeah, all the way up my leg, oh my and God, up this like poncho that I was wearing yeah. it was raining a little bit yeah. so they were just all over me, and I was stripping running back to the to where we lived stripping off all my clothes and down to my underwear as I ran into the door and then stripped my underwear off and jumped into the shower immediately to take a really cold shower. Yeah. And it did not. It it still didn't work. It's just so painful. Florida. Awful.
0: Couldn't even enjoy the fireworks. No. (laughs) How, How many did you get off before the ant
2: predicament? I don't know. I think one or two.
0: Oh, man. The whole day ruined.
2: It was pretty terrible. Were you by yourself? No, I was with my dad and my—I think my brother. So we you just had a cousin? bolt? Did they tell you go get it? I just ran. They—I didn't know what to do, and I think my dad told me to go hop in the shower. So I just ran back. How many brothers do you got, Just you and your brother? I have uh, three step brothers. Okay. Zero, zero full blood like brothers. You were an stress. only child. Siblings. Um, I am an only child for the most part, yeah. For the know. most
0: part other than the stepbrothers. I mean,
2: I I yeah, they weren't around too much. Right. But I mean um, for the first 14 years you were sort of an only child. Well, my dad had uh my dad had a previous uh marriage. So he'd been married once, then married Before my mom. your mom. Um, yeah. Okay, so you had then some got stepbrothers from there. I have a stepbrother and two stepsisters. Wow, so six total. Mhm. And uh and they they're very interesting people beautiful lovely people is that sarcasm no i mean that oh, in, in all in all in all genuine <laughs> that's nice I have an interesting family yeah yeah and so what brings you back to los angeles just sort of like fuck florida um uh yeah i mean that was a big part of it yeah it was like uh, yeah, get me the fuck out of here you gonna go live with mom i did yeah i came back and live with mom and her boyfriend at the time this guy frank frank mm-hmm. good guy yeah, really good guy. I think he, he meant well. Really good businessman. His, yeah. His, he was very business-minded. And even at that age, because he was around when I had started working on Freaks and Geeks, and he was kind of like pushing me to do more business-minded things with yeah. with whatever, um, you know, the product that I was selling. That's kind of how he would look at it. Right. It was, you know, and and now I understand. But then I was just like, I just like acting, man. Like, I don't know why you got to make this like a thing where I'm like, I'm a product. <laughs> But he had a he had a good head on his shoulders in that regard. I just don't want to be i don't know I never really business wasn't your thing, yeah, or part of like why I do this and when did the acting start well i i my mom had a business that kind of revolved around acting, which was and she moved out here to be an actress. It was called in the act and it was uh it was a business where um Casting directors and producers and directors, I think, as well, uh, would come in and share with a, a class of actors right. that had, you know, paid twenty dollars to come to this class. It would share with them scenes from something they'd worked on or something they, they're doing now or something like that. Right. And uh, and they would kind of like give. Um, notes afterward uh-huh. after a cold reading. So they uh-huh. were like basically cold reading workshops with producers and directors and casting directors.
0: Did did your mother ever succeed in acting at all?
2: Yeah. I mean she's worked for the last um I mean since she came out here when she was 18 or 19. Oh yeah? Or maybe 11, yeah. like
0: anything we'd know?
2: 1920. Uh yeah, I mean she's um she's had parts in a lot of things. I mean she was in like Beastmaster way back when. Uh-huh. Um She's been in a lot of stuff, man. Yeah? She's, uh well, she was in Silicon Valley, but unfortunately for time, they ended up cutting her out. But hopefully at some point she'll be back. And it was totally independent of me. Um, oh, my, really? Mike Judge had just cast her and they were like, we uh I think we cast your mother. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then I was, I was really excited. Uh,
0: so, so you guys
2: are pals? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, I feel like every relationship is a bit of a work in progress. Ours certainly is. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, we, we, we've kind of, we've recently taken up uh, Clippers games together a lot. Oh, so yeah. We're kind of bonding over sports. And where's your old man? Uh, my dad's in Florida. So he's just down there. Mm-hmm. He's stuck with that
0: one. Yes. He yes. leveled off. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> he found one. He
2: did. So when do you actually start acting? How old were you? Uh, I think the first time I did anything officially, well, I was young. I was real young. I probably was doing classes and stuff with my mom. She would always like find scenes where if there was one extra person in a workshop, yeah. then they would do a scene with me. Yeah. And I think those people didn't like it because I would always a- outshine them. I would always outshine them. Just because- like, Oh, in her workshops, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if I was just there, if there was an odd man out, then I would go and do a scene with that person. And some people were kind of excited at it, and other people, I think, were bitter, and they were like, this fucking kid's going to steal all my thunder. Just um, by virtue of being a kid. Yeah. You yeah. just like, you have- quality like you just don't care there's a nonchalance even just being there so whether you're good or not
0: that's i think what everybody aspires to like you got to get back to that yeah totally when you're older so were you going out auditions when you were that young
2: yeah i think i worked on a bank of america commercial nice i'd done a couple other small parts
0: yeah yeah and were you like a natural
2: or what I don't know. I'd, I, I. But did your mom teach you? I mean, did, were you ever trained as a kid? Or? Uh, I think when I was, um, yeah, I, I definitely kind of got training later. But that wasn't until I think it was like nine, eight, nine, ten. I started taking a class with uh, this guy, Kevin McDermott. Yeah, at a place he had started called Center Stage LA. Yeah, and that. Why was, that guy? I don't. I, I don't know how my parents had a connection to him, but um, I, once I started going there, I, I loved it. He was just a genuinely like compassionate person, and the way he would like throw things out in the middle of scenes sometimes mm-hmm. um, emulates, or perhaps the other one emulates him. But like Judd, I think directs a lot like that sometimes, and a lot in TV, uh, in comedy and stuff. A lot of comedy directors will just kind of like throw out ideas, and he had um, he kind of always did that during scenes where he would throw something out if he felt like you needed a boost or you needed some inspiration and you'd
0: have to improvise around that
2: yeah it was a, it was an improv class okay and i was really liked it because i felt like i was getting the reaction from my peers at that point that i that made me feel good right the laughs yeah yeah for the most part and even you know because we, we did drama improv as well so oh really yeah I don't, what's that like uh, a lot of crying <laughs> <laughs> and you could do it <sighs> yeah yeah but before you start doing acting were you generally awkward um, I mean, who isn't awkward? I, I moved around a lot and I always saw that as like a, an opportunity every time I moved to a new school cause I went to way too many schools. Um, but I always saw that as an opportunity to like change the view of my, my environment on me. Yeah. Um, like how would you do that? Never worked. Well, I always thought like, Oh, I'll change. I'll be different. And and I'll be the cool guy now, wherever I go. You were going to make that decision. Yeah, that, that you don't make that decision, <laughs> yeah. I found out, after years of trying. <laughs> yeah. Every school, you're like, I'm the cool guy now. Yeah. No. But I also didn't know how to do it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, those guys who are cool in high school, who usually grow up to be nothing. Um, I like the emphasis on nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take that, you sons <laughs> um, But, like, those guys don't know why they're cool. They just probably are graced with something genetically that they, they don't even know about, or they just don't care. Charm and insecurity.
0: Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're just insecure and you don't have the charm part, mm-hmm. then you're in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But if you're insecure and you're charming, then the world will be your oyster.
2: Yeah. How's that? Is yeah. that a good theory? Yeah. Well, I just I, made it up. I, I, I don't disagree with it. I mean, I think those are two qualities that mesh well together. Charming insecurity? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's called Hollywood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the entire industry is built on that. So why did you move around so much? I mean, I know you went to
2: Florida for a year, but you moved around within L.A. too? Yeah. My parents were, were very particular about the education that I got. Uh-huh. So they would constantly kind of recheck the system and find a new place for me to be. Even though it meant
0: pulling you out of the social structure? And
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, they just didn't find the the system... Yeah, yeah and th- and I went to really like you know quote prestigious schools like what um I think the first school I went to for first and second grade was uh maybe just second grade um open school this place called open school which was just like a like a montessori school yeah.
1: like
0: uh where everyone just sort of like yeah it's up to you guys to decide what you want to do
2: no it was ah. uh it was more like a Acad- it was for smart kids like in- intentionally for like smart kids were like you, an w- academics type were, school were you an academically smart kid I didn't I could do it my my pistons were firing in that capacity but I didn't like it so right. I didn't do the homework but I could pass the tests right and so uh, that's what ended up being the marker for me of being being able to get into these schools it right was like I could do that right but then I wouldn't get great grades because I didn't care enough to do the homework and, and that's not what drove me yeah um but i think i've really like peaked when i was in uh i went to the los angeles county high school for the arts oh oh, oh you did yeah when i was when i moved back from florida so the then i guess you were the cool kid there cuz everyone's a cool kid there right yeah it, i mean it was i i found it to be an environment that was just free it was so much more free i hadn't been in a i hadn't been in a school environment where people were openly gay yeah and that was like that clearly defined how different this was right. from every other right. uh, educational environment I'd been in. That struck you in immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, that's a, such a great thing that people were free here. Right. And um, and open. I mean, there were still like the constructs of the hierarchies yeah. and all those things still kind of parlayed their way into the system, right. you know, and uh, the social structure but it was just a little bit different
0: yeah and what what were the performing arts the full full range
2: yeah like music music theater dancing uh and visual arts and did you start doing uh you know actual acting there um doing plays and that kind of stuff uh when I when I was just about to do our first year project would have been that would have been my first opportunity ever to do a play to do actual theater I I left to be a part of Freaks and Geeks so,
0: oh that's so so. you didn't finish the school?
2: No. It was a really hard decision, too. I almost didn't do Freaks and Geeks because I loved that school so much. And it took me so long to, like rec- to see this environment, to, to like be a part of this, this environment was so rewarding. So what grade were you in when you stopped? Uh, I was in, I think I only went there for half of my 11th grade year. That was all of my schooling there. So, did you finish high school? I did. I mean, kind <laughs> of. I don't know. I, I, I Seth and I were in, living together. Rogan. Seth, Seth Rogan and I were living together when uh, we were both going to like shot. I think he was like taking tests here or there. He might have even. He might not have graduated. I know for a while he went to the school with you. No, but he was still like doing homeschooling right. from Canada. from right. his school in Vancouver. Right, um, and I don't know if he ever. Like, then he just kind of stopped. I know that he just didn't give a shit and stopped at some point because clearly this wasn't going to be a part of the way the trajectory of his life at that at that moment. And, and it wasn't. No, and and I he may have never graduated. I'm not actually sure. Um, but I went to a school where. I cheated on tests. Like, they honestly didn't care enough to really monitor anything. But the choice,
0: my... I mean, the choice to take the role over or not take it, though.
2: Oh, no, that was something that I, like, pondered on
0: for a while. How? What was the audition process on that? I mean, because that show is so important to so many people and so specific. And your character, that character of Bill, was uh, so pivotal. I mean, like, I talked to Judd about it, you know, and, and many of the people that I know who like that show... You know that scene of you just watching television,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, by yourself, is like one of the most powerful uh, moments of television for for a lot of people that I've talked to, mm-hmm. and that was that just that mm-hmm. you sitting there, given your environment, giving your situation, and watching comedians and laughing. There's a you know it was it's just a defining moment. So mm-hmm. w- w- how how was walk me through the process of how all that happened? Because
2: Judd and 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 Paul were so much younger too. Mm-hmm. What what was it like? Uh, my experience, my memory is um meeting with Allison Jones and reading for casting agent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one and just a wonderful human being. Like really just a sweetheart. Um but I went in and saw her and I read for Sam and then and then I think I read for Neil and then uh, or maybe I read for Sam and then she brought me back in for Bill. She was like, Go read this and come back. And uh so then I came back in and auditioned again and then she was like She's like, that was great. And she, like, you could see she was like, that was great. I was like, okay. And then I just left. It just, to me, it was just kind of like another audition at that point.
0: So you had already been sort of, um, you accepted auditioning as
2: not necessarily a personal rejection, just part of the process of trying to do what you want to do. Yeah. I think now it's a lot harder. It's funny how then it didn't matter. I also didn't think I was ever going to be an actor. I never thought that, like, that was something that I could possibly do because it seems so far fetched to, succeed in that arena and i was very aware that like it wasn't just talent that it took it yeah. took a lot of drive and and generally success in whatever field takes so much more than a single trait or characteristic it takes a combination of a lot of things and drive is the biggest one um i'd say for for most people um and but you didn't, you didn't feel like you had that no i just didn't i didn't think like i didn't know i didn't trust myself or right. no, i knew that like within my um, acting class in my improv class i felt like the man but um and i felt like i i could handle myself there but i didn't know that i could ever succeed in this right. business it's such a huge business right um but uh yeah but i left that audition just thinking it was another audition and uh and at that point it was and then i got a call back and i and uh i think judd and paul were there Eating pizza or something. Um, they'd just gotten lunch, and they were trying to take care of everybody that was waiting in the waiting room. So they they weren't like sitting and eating, which a lot of people will do, and just like make people wait. Right. Um, they were like very um, understanding. They they were just very courteous. Um, and so I remember going in and auditioning for them, and then leaving, and then getting called back to go to NBC for um tests. So it's in,
0: so it's interesting that you you know like you w- wanted to commit your life to this but you didn't have that much confidence in it.
2: I just I had confidence in my own ability. I just didn't have confidence that like this was the thing. Like I I still wanted to be like a veterinarian or I was still like trying to figure out, you know, when you're 16 years old, you're not I, I had no point was that like this is it. Like, yeah. This is what I have to do. Right. Um because you're still so unsure and awkward or at least I was. Yeah. I never had this um decision. I right. never made a decision. I kind of like let my environment make that decision. I think after Freaks and Geeks. So I was like, oh, "Okay, so this is it. This is what I get to do." Right. So now I just have to put everything into it. Okay, so you get cast. They tell you you're the guy. Uh-huh. When do you meet everybody else? Uh well, I met everybody uh at the tests, I think. Well, I th- I I met Sam. I met um uh, I met Sam Levine and I met I think I met Sam Levine there and I met uh, John Daly there and then three other people who were testing for each of our parts as well mm-hmm. relationship started to form pretty quickly yeah with who Um, I think James and I became fast friends Seth and I kind of became friends because we were the same age Um, and him and Jason kind of bonded the three those three guys became pretty fast friends and Sam and I used to hang out a lot. And then John, I'd try to hang out with a lot, but because he was two or three years younger, it was just a different environment because yeah. he couldn't necessarily come and hang out. The right. way that like Sam and I had the freedom of having cars and doing what we wanted, and he was still kind of under the authoritarian household family regime. Right. He had to listen to his father and stuff like that. So I it's mean, interesting. You became friends with James at first? Uh, no, I just I remember as the series went on, he and I, I think of the... Of the freaks, um, Seth and I became the closest, and then James and I became pretty close as well. We started like writing; we wrote a short together, and uh huh. Um, are you guys still buddies? I don't, I don't know him very well. I don't feel like at this point. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is. A, it is a little weird. Yeah, it, there's um, I don't know. It's a, sometimes like those barriers are bro; those bonds are broken, and you don't know um, where you. Well, he seems to have taken sort of different trajectory than
0: yeah. than a lot of a lot of you guys, I guess. Are you yeah. and Seth still friends? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So James is the one that kind of went off and did whatever the hell he's going to do. Well, I think everybody goes off and does what what they want to do. Yeah. Um. He just was tremendously ambitious and kind of did all these things that you know. I, I don't know that I have the desire to do.
0: Well, so it, it's interesting to me because, like, I still, even as a guy who, who sort of works in show business, that, like, my my feeling is, like, well, you guys all have to be friends forever. You yeah. know, like, uh-huh. it doesn't, like, you know, you get emotionally attached to people who play roles, you know, over a period of time. Yeah. And you just make these assumptions. Like, all of them have got to be, still be friends. For the most part. Yeah. yeah.
2: So you move in with Seth, like, during Freaking Geeks? Just after. We were 17. I think we were both 17. Yeah. And then pretty shortly after that, I went off to do my first big movie. And I was like, this is it. I'll do a big movie. I did a TV show. I did a big movie. The movie will come out, and it'll be hot shit. It'll be gravy. Yeah, I kind of got a big head. Which movie was it? A movie you've never seen. Uh Uh-huh. It was called Cheats. Yeah. It was initially called Cheaters, and then we couldn't name it that because of the Jeff Daniels um, TV movie of the week Uh that came out by the same name, I think. So we changed the name. And then... um, uh, I, 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 I don't know it was kind of doomed that, yeah. that movie was kind of doomed what was it about? it was about four guys uh, who cheat on tests as like a business inside the school that's uh-huh. what they do and I was the guy who writes crazy small so like people would you know if you were chewing a piece of gum mm-hmm. on that wrapper for the piece of gum would be all of the notes you needed for the right. test right. Like, all of the answers right. would be there. I was the guy who did that um, and I also had asthma I was it was a very interesting fun so after Haverchuk, you were like the nerd kid uh i mean i i, I guess so <laughs> I mean that was it, were, it would fit i suppose but um yeah but uh, that was that was a nerdy ish character well, when you were doing that the haverchuk
0: character um like that scene like like Judd's recollection of it was that was something from his childhood. do you remember that scene mm hmm where you're just
2: sitting there watching television. Yeah, totally. What what was your experience of it of doing that? Um, Judd and uh one of the other writers was uh they were screaming out jokes. Uh-huh. To me because that whole scene is um uh you know Without without sound yeah. audio,
0: so they were just oh, you're just sitting there watching, and they knew it was not there was not going to be any sound.
2: Yeah, and they were just screaming out jokes. I was watching, I was looking at a blank screen at that point, um, uh-huh. and they were just shouting out um, jokes that they remembered from their childhood, and and what ended up just becoming the dirtiest jokes that they could think of uh-huh. to try to make me laugh. Yeah, and they succeeded.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's the beauty of acting. That's what really happened, mm-hmm. but within the story. It was this difficult world you were living in, and uh-huh. we were experiencing you having the one bit of reprieve that you get from the insanity. hmm uh-huh. And what were you, like, what what other things did you do? Because, like, in my mind, like, you know, when you're a child actor, which you kind of were, oh, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. What, who were you hanging out with? I mean, you, I mean, you're living with Seth, but what do you do for hobbies? Did you build a life
2: for yourself? Do you... Seth and I smoked a lot of weed. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> That went well for a while, and then (laughs) it seems like Seth still smokes a lot of weed. Seth has kept it up. Yeah, (laughs) he's committed. Uh, Yeah, he's he's built more momentum. I think. Yeah, I I think uh, Snoop Dogg smokes more weed than him, but just by a a hair. There. Well, I I asked Snoop Dogg fairly recently how much weed he smokes per day. Yeah, and he said uh, a half ounce. What? Uh, Well, he said it first. He said uh, depends what day, and I said today. Yeah. He said a half ounce because I'm working. I said, Oh well how much on a regular day? Ounce and a half. <laughs> wow. It's out of control. Yeah.
0: I I'm, think it, you yeah. build up a I think you build up a, a
2: tolerance. Ounce and a half of weed. Oh, for sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> but, I do, mean, do you smoke still? No, I quit a long time ago. I kind of started I had trouble sleeping recently and so I started smoking a little bit of weed again. Did it help? To go to sleep, yeah. Works wonders. And but what what other things do you do? You're a mystery to me. Like I was
0: concerned. I'm like, I, I hope uh, we can talk. <laughs> you know, because I'm a fan. But I was like, are like, what's uh, what's his private life like? What's he up to? That guy. What do you do for fun? Um, well, I was raised Buddhist. So is that true? Yeah. Why would I question that? Are you uh, lying to me, Martin? Uh, are you lying to me? Nope. Raised... <laughs> I'm not lying. What um, you mean, like Ho Buddhist? Uh, yeah. So your mom
2: was like, got into that in the '60s, early '70s. Yeah, my mother and father both got into it in 1981. I was born in 82. Uh huh. And uh, yeah, and and it's it's stuck. I mean, even though I haven't necessarily um, consistently practiced, I've it's a huge part of my life and like my fundamental core. Really? Yeah. Can you explain
0: it to me? Will it help me? Because I'm like, you seem very mm. calm, and mm. you seem okay with yourself. Uh These are things I don't possess. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to, <laughs> you you do. I I mean like if like what does it mean to be brought up as a buddhist i've only talked to one other one and he was you know his family is very involved in like you know you know uh kind of spreading the message of mm-hmm. of that particular form of buddhism mm-hmm. at the time that it became popular mm-hmm. because it was a time
2: mm-hmm.
0: where it, it's interesting to me that los angeles and hollywood in particular mm-hmm. becomes like this testing grounds for things that would be assumed as cults in a way mm-hmm. But that thing really took off. I mean, the, the place I remember from it, from it the most is in uh, the Hal Ashby movie, The Last Detail, mm-hmm. where uh, Randy Quaid you know, stumbles into a Buddhist you know, to that particular form. So I was like, well, that must have been going on in the 70s. Because
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's where it sort of took off here, right? Mm-hmm. So w- what does one do as a Buddhist? What were the things that you learned?
2: Well, it's, fundamentally, it's based on the principle that everyone... Is capable of becoming a Buddha, um, of achieving Buddhahood in this lifetime. Uh huh. Um, How close are you? <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a large goal. Okay. Um, but uh, is it one of those pretend goals? Like it's just to give you hope. Uh, no, I, I do think it's possible, but it's um, it, it's it's different from I think the way that um. That Buddhism is um, thought of and like, you know, you shave your head and you wear a robe and you go to the top of a mountain and you find peace in Mm -hmm. nature and and away from civilization. Right. Um, This counter counters that entirely in that you challenge yourself with the superficial realities of our society. Right. And and use those to facilitate your growth and development as a human being. Okay. So what does Buddhahood mean? Um, I, I, ultimately like a place a place of, uh, peace uh-huh. and enlightenment, um, and respect for, uh, yourself and your environment. Uh-huh. Um, and the ultimate goal of the organization of yeah. the, the, Soka Gakai, mm-hmm. um, which is initially it was the Soka Kyoku Gakai, which meant value creation and educational society. Mm-hmm. And now it's Soka Gakai, which is value creation society. The, the ultimate goal is um world peace. So okay. It seems very simple. It seems like, you know, I, I should be a beauty pageant winner right now talking about world peace, but it's really like it's something that we should all be striving for and I feel like it's a it's a forgotten goal as a human being on this earth. I think that's probably true. Yeah, because people have gotten very selfish. Sure.
0: That you, you know, we live in a, a sort of narcissistic culture 100%. Careerists. How do I get what I need? Yeah. how do I get to be what I want
2: mm-hmm.
0: so do you chant I do yeah daily um I try to yeah and does that help is that medi- would you consider that meditation
2: yes and it does help a lot yeah
0: that's amazing so like in in terms of um the practice of chanting and the in the sort of you know practical elements of 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 what you get from that because i I'd like to meditate but I don't so you've kind transcendental.
2: of transcendental. You do TM? No,
0: I don't do anything. Oh. I'd, I'd like to. I oh, think you'd it's like really, to. I'd like to sit quietly. But I think if you have a chant or a mantra or something, you can just do it. But yeah. you were you did it all your life.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels very natural to me. I, I see sometimes people who are you know new to the organization or to chanting or something. Uh-huh. Their reaction to it, and I realize, oh, what we're doing is weird by normal standards. Right. But um, it just seems so absolutely natural to me
0: and that one when like did you get any flack for that ever
2: N- not that i remember uh-huh yeah like like when except you're... in our family um because my my mom is it comes from like a very catholic family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i think they um disliked the, the fact that she veered away from catholicism and god and um and the funny thing is, like both religions practice peace, or like that's that's their message. Yeah, and acceptance. You know, right. specifically, like you look into the depth of Catholicism, and it's about accepting other people and the differences and forgiving people. Right. And it's so funny how difficult that seems to be as when it's actually needed to put into practice. Yeah. Well. You know yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, I mean the, not to you know shit on Catholics. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, that that really wasn't my attempt, but I I, I just thought it was funny that. You know the, the, how, how difficult it was to put, in, to put into practice when, like, that's one of the fundamental rules of the religion.
0: Well, I think that that I think most religions set out to to you know to be pretty sort of proactive in terms of people behaving properly and mm-hmm. living a decent life. But then the politics of the religion and the the organization of the religion and uh, you know the powers that you know the people that take power within religions uh, kind of fuck things up. Yeah. But also with Catholicism, you get the hell business, which is a little too terrifying for me to even wrap my brain around. Yeah. Were you raised Jewish, conservative ish, Jewish, not real with any real sense of God? Um, or how to use god mm-hmm. or you know what it really meant it was always sort of an abstract never something practical
2: yeah
0: and it seems like you, you know in terms of w- what you're dealing with it there seems to be some practicality to it it's like you can get some relief from engaging in this and there's not necessarily a deity that needs to be yeah. placated or <laughs> or or appeased yeah there doesn't seem to be any um uh, uh punishment for uh transgression mm-hmm. how does buddhism
2: deal with transgression um well, I mean mistakes are a part of life and um I think is there a list of mistakes? No, the I mean I mean it comes down to like moral karmic understanding. Mm-hmm. So you recognize in your environment how you're treated and and accepting that as something that you deserve as opposed to something that as opposed to pointing a finger of blame at whatever is causing you this problem. Mm -hmm. So you always recognize yourself as the thing that can change in any environment as opposed to trying to change your environment because that's always impossible. But
0: are you supposed to innately know what's morally improper? I mean, where do those lessons come from? Like, okay.
2: Yeah, but, but they come more through human interaction like us talking about what is, I mean, you know innately what's right and wrong. But let's say you're strung out on drugs and yeah. and you're like, wow, this is killing me. And I just blew somebody for drug money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm chanting. Well, then, yeah, well, then the next moment, every moment is a new opportunity to find yourself on a new path. So as opposed to looking back and blaming yourself for what has just happened mm-hmm. or blaming anyone, um, there's no recourse for what just happened. You're you're now given the next moment as an opportunity to change for the better. So, right so taking that next moment as opposed to focusing on how you've already made mistakes
0: right so that so that's the the sort of eternal present yeah kind of thing yeah but that isn't in, in Buddhism isn't there sort of a, a, a duality concept that you know the universe is you know is what it is and like what, what is the basic spiritual premise of the Buddhist
2: worldview um, that everything is interconnected mm-hmm. and that you, that one human being can change the world 100%. But it isn't through, it's through changing yourself. Right. So the the constant struggle um, is human revolution is what it's called mm-hmm. um, inside the organization. Um, the organization, now I really sound like a cult member. Um, but- <laughs> the like inside my Buddhist practice, that yeah. we, we refer to it as, as human revolution, which is just basically you know, looking inside yourself and changing yourself for the better and being actual proof of the capabilities of this practice. Wow. So, do you
0: like, are there do you go someplace
2: there? Uh, yeah, well, we used to be connected with, um it's uh, it's all fundamentally based on Nichiren Daishonin. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that kind of pioneered this idea that everyone can become a bodhisattva, can, that everyone is a bodhisattva of the earth and that everyone can attain buddhahood in this lifetime. Um and and then and at that point we were connected with the priesthood. Yeah. And the priests believe that in order to attain buddhahood that the normal lay people, lay practitioners couldn't uh, achieve buddhahood. Unless um, I, I don't think they could achieve it at all, but the priests could help them by being the inter, like you know, being the middleman right. between them and and um, God. Yeah. And, and you is know. there a God? No, it's uh, um, the mystic law of cause and effect, uh-huh. karma, um, but the interconnectedness of all living right. things. If that's the thing mm-hmm. so
0: so that the 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 type of buddhism you practiced was sort of one of these it took it from a philosophical almost you know insulated um and very specific um idea to something that everybody could engage in mm-hmm. so that was the that was the idea that was the transition into the type of buddhism that you're you're practicing the mm-hmm. the difference between uh getting getting in touch with the big nothing and just you know, sitting in an enlightened state, mm-hmm. this was like sort of like wait, well, we've got to be able to take these ideas and make them practical and mm-hmm. you know, and and applicable to everyday people. Yeah, and that's where that's where that comes in. Yeah. Well, it seems to be working. I, I feel more relaxed just talking. To you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're welcome to come to a meeting anytime you like. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is that? Uh, um, do is is there a, a, an idea that you you should reach out to other people?
2: Yeah, I mean. I think I was pushed away because I, I stopped practicing for quite some time. Yeah. I, I think I've kind of been pulled back towards it. Part of that being my father's having kind of health issues. Um, and so um, I've been spending a lot more time with him and I've been chanting for his health. Um, and Recently? Uh, yeah. This, mm-hmm. this is within the last six months or a year. And so... So you were
0: sort of not as active and now you're more active again? Yeah. So it's a way, were there other points in your life where, where, where there was crisis or, or frustration and, and, you know, spiritual or existential dilemma that kind of pulled you back in?
2: Short term. Yes. Yeah. This, this feels like, um, a new ground. Like I have a a better foothold on it now Uh with this. And is your father still practicing? Yeah. 100%. Oh yeah. Is he doing all right or? Um, he's doing, he's doing okay. It's a battle, man. It's yeah. A, it's a, it's a pretty severe battle. So we're in the midst of it, but, um, uh-huh. but he's got a great deal of hope and determination. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now let's talk about from, you know, your relationship with, with Judd, because for me, like, I don't watch a lot of television. hmm Like I saw Party Down and I was mm-hmm. happy to see you. Mm-hmm. And like I, you know, it 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 seemed like you sort of were in this world of 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 comedy that has been come that has become the dominant force in comedy. The people that you were were involved with from Freaks and Geeks, you know, with Seth and everybody. Mm-hmm. But like, um, but the movie thing when I saw you in uh, in Knocked Up, I was like, holy shit! Oh, there he is! You know, <laughs> like like where's he been? But you've been working the whole time.
2: No, i I'd, I'd had a pretty big gap, I think, in between. Freaks and geeks, and then knocked up, Yeah, party the young came after knocked up, yeah, um where like I got a tattoo and like decided I wasn't going to be an actor anymore, and it was mostly due to not feeling um respected and encouraged by my environment i think the the people that and 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 i don't I can't blame it on them because it was my decisions that put me in that position, but um like my agents and shit at the time were terrible and didn't really care about me or know how to influence me In fact, so,
0: so there was a problem so coming out of like so this was after Freaks and Geeks after a couple of movies uh-huh. where you were sort of being typecast as this dorky kid yeah and you what you hit a wall
2: I yeah I, I definitely hit a wall what'd I've, you get what kind of tattoo uh, I got this thing the star a bleeding star yeah what's the meaning Yeah. Um. at the time anyways at the time, I think it's, it's evolved quite a bit, but um, at the time- it, good, I'm glad it's still evolving. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still evolving. Uh, at the time, it really just represented my, um, what, I, what I didn't like about the business and what I didn't want to be consumed by. Which was? Um, the selfish nature, the business side of things. Right. It wasn't about what I loved about um, acting or creation. Or storytelling, uh-huh. it was all money-driven, and and uh, you really had to prove yourself to be an asset to to these people. And they had very specific expectations out of you. Yeah, which were all financial. Like you really had to meet these expectations that didn't fit into my parameters. Right. of desire. Well, they they probably were kind drive. of cornering you to be some sort of clown. Um. Yeah. Well, they w- w- just stopped working for me. To be honest. Yeah. The, the only time I got phone calls, and and f- there I felt like that more often than not in uh, in my life that that like that is for some reason my place that like I'm not that like I feel like agents oftentimes when they when they are representing yeah. me they're just fielding calls a lot of the time right as opposed to like fighting for me to be in you know movies that they're packaging or giving me opportunities that I don't necessarily have on my own i don't know if that exists anymore that type of agent yeah maybe right I mean, I know that they are packaging things, but um, sure,
0: but there's this romantic idea that like you know,
2: like he's out there working for me, you know, yeah, I don't know, they really I, they're oftentimes I wonder why ten percent of my money goes to someone that and i and to be honest at the moment, I really like the people that I'm with, yeah, I like them as human beings, and I like talking to them, and mm-hmm. I feel like they have a lot of wisdom when I talk about the projects that you know are on the table or something, but it's it's still like i don't I don't really know where I stand or how much. Um, I'm gaining in a given moment, right, or a day, or so. What week was that? Month. When you got the
0: tattoo and turned your back
2: on it, like, well, how did that manifest itself? What was your plan? Um, well, I got a job for one day as a barista. I mm-hmm. got paid two dollars to get a test, <laughs> to go be a test barista for a day. Um, and then that was the only job I think I've had aside from acting. Um, and then knocked up came up. So it wasn't that long a period. No. And I'd had I'd kind of decided I wanted to get back into it. And But how and, long was it before like you know when you said fuck
0: this? I mean, was it years? Or was it Uh I think I had quit for a year. So you had money saved from freaks and geeks and stuff. No, I went broke. You did. Yeah. Now was there any part
2: of your Buddhist nature that thought like this is an opportunity? Uh no, I think I was in like the the I was in the state of hell. I was not happy at all. I was m- miserable for the most part. I was terribly depressed. Even through Knocked Up, through shooting that movie, I was in a pretty bad way. What were, so how did that manifest itself? Were you living alone? Um, I think I was living with my mom at the time. I was 22 or 23. And, yeah. and whatever the case is, I, I'm sure that's not terribly old to be living with your parents, but um, I had moved out at 17, so to like go back and live with my mom again was just a, a rancid idea like just such a pu- like terrible like you failed yeah it was it felt so demeaning and yeah. demoralizing and how, was she supportive she was incredibly supportive she moved and concerned i imagine oh ter- yeah yeah very very concerned but she she gave up a lot to um help me uh, including selling her she had a beautiful place on the beach which is where she was going to retire and she sold that um and kind of ended up getting fucked over, I, I remember. Um, but then she sold that so that she could get a much bigger place a little bit further east that that we could live in together and have more space. Oh, uh, yeah, so she was worried.
0: Now, were you, did you, were you on medicine or did you, like, what? what were you doing? You were mm-hmm. just, like, in dark place? Yeah. And you weren't being, you'd given up on the spirituality element of your life
2: or what? I was still kind of chanting here and there, but that wasn't, I wasn't driven to do it it's weird because it's not unusual age to go through that no. but the
0: fact that you would had this success
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that you'd had your dreams sort of shattered for fairly ideological reasons I mean it sounds like you probably could have kept working
2: mm-hmm. right? I don't know oh they just hung you out to dry that's what it felt like yeah so, I, re- I remember calling my agent my buddy David David Crumholtz, at the time I like talked to him on the phone I was like I don't feel like they're doing anything for me I was in my car and i was you know just going off to him about it and he was like giving me all this advice and he was like this is what you have to do you have to give him an ultimatum you have to call him and you have to say fuck this um you're fired either you're gonna start fucking working for me or you're fired um and uh and so I, after that phone call it got me all fired up and i i called and i said basically that that like uh Either you start working for me, or I don't think we should be working together anymore. I should, I should be with someone that is going to work for me. And she was like, okay, I totally understand. So, and I was like, well, well like, what, what? what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I realized through that phone call that, like, this is how she had felt for two years. But because jobs had continued to come in, right. she was just taking free money. As opposed to telling me, like, hey, I don't give a shit, and I'm not working for you at all. She just kind of left me there gathering money for her based on the work that I had already uh, done yeah gotten on my own because of my body of work at that at that time and that's, uh, a, that's a that's a brutal realization it was really hard to take that in and realize that like this was just a terrible human being, but that's in some way the nature of the being business an, being an agent, yeah like absolutely fundamentally you're just looking to make your company this is your job to make your company as much money as you can and so if you drop someone that's even bringing in a small amount of money of course you don't waste any time working for them but it, but someone who's bringing in a small amount of money it's not beneficial for you to drop them yet
0: right no they're like who knows what could happen yeah that guy could get a call and then I could you know get a big payday yeah yeah it's uh yeah because like there's also this idea there's a romantic idea of of who they are and that they're working for you and that they represent you and that yeah. you know you have your shoe in the door and all that shit, and you know there's something about show business about the agent, but you know, well I don't know if it was the same experience, but you think like, well these are my friends. And, you know, my best interest is, you know, they have my best interest in mind, but then there comes that day where you're like, they don't give a fuck. We're just these movable pieces. And if they can't move the piece, they don't mind just sitting with it until it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So you just felt stranded. Mm -hmm. So now you're without an agent and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And your mom who has been through this, I imagine before. Yeah, Matt must add some guidance on it. I don't think I consulted her about what was going on in my life at that point. Uh huh. So you're you're in the darkness for a year, mm-hmm. getting bleeding star tattoos.
2: Yeah. Well, Jay, were you suicidal? No, you were just pissed. I mean, uh, I'd be lying if I said I've never had like a suicidal thought. Yeah. But there's a huge difference between having that thought and yeah. bringing it into sure. actuality. Yeah.
0: One is self pity, pity, and the other yeah. one is you know you mean business. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah so so then out of nowhere uh, Judd calls Um. well I think it you know these things start so much earlier than you're aware of right. as an actor and so I think it had been in the works for a while and perhaps it was one of the driving forces behind um, you know some of the people in my life that kind of came to be like my manager now I don't I, I know that this thing was happening before he and I were together but uh, he's, I mean he's done a great job for me in a lot of ways so yeah. I wouldn't hold it against him but um, this thing was happening and he reached out to me and, and then you know a month later I found out about Knocked Up you know kind of happening I think um, and my agent at the time who was like this small kind of boutique agent yeah. who wanted to be like a painter and you know like really kind of lived this cliche like this LA cliche yeah um he I remember firing him because I we had a conversation about the business side of it and I was like well I want to be more business savvy yeah if you know if I'm going to continue um, doing this I just want a better head on my shoulders so that I don't f- you know feel unaware um, and you know blindsided yeah um, at any point so I just wanted to ask as many questions and the first question was do you think we should get a lawyer and um, you know just to like deal with the the fine tuning yeah. of the contract and stuff like that. And my agent at the time, who just like didn't care or have <laughs> had a business mind, he was just like, nah, I don't, th- I think this is all we're going to get. And then I talked to my uh, manager um, and he was like, uh, I don't think it'll hurt. And I know a guy who's good, who can um, do it, who will do it pro bono the first time around. Right. Just to prove his worth, you know? Right. So we did that and it ended up being, so crucial to my financial stability f- for years to come, really for the knocked up contract, yeah. Which like wasn't a, like a, it was just like having a precedent of getting something after the movie's released, getting some like uh, you know getting like allotments of money that were predetermined, yeah. If the movie reached certain goals, right, which wasn't a tremendous amount of money, really, right, really, especially considering the you know that it had to reach hundred a hundred million dollars first, right. um but like you know, these small amounts of money meant the world to me at that point, yeah. Because I was completely broke, right? Um, so the fact that like he was just nonchalant, didn't give a shit. I I ended up firing him for it. And you worked, it worked out okay because it probably did make a hundred million, didn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. So after,
0: so after knocked up, you do party down. Yeah, and that was fun, right?
2: Oh, that was amazing. I was ready to enjoy. Yeah. Again.
0: Oh, and it, and it turned everything around. Yeah. Because knocked up, like, if you think about it, like, you tell me you're in this dark place, and that character sort of lent itself to
2: (laughs) to a certain amount of. Well, I think it has to. I mean, my life (laughs) had to bleed into that. Yeah. Or else I wasn't being honest because it was so defining of my life at that point. Like, it was in every part of the way I was living. Yeah. What? Um, There's the darkness and the defeat and the anger. Yeah.
0: Well, that character was, it's an odd character and was a
2: little bit disturbing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) mission accomplished
0: but but do you when you because you're known for doing comedies but they're they are sort of there's a lot of heart in them
2: but do you consider yourself a comic actor uh i feel like i i'm told it so much that i just have associated it with what i do but i don't i don't think um that's a defining characteristic in the in what i bring to what i do yeah i don't think it has to be comedic so
0: the party down that that didn't survive,
2: that must have been pretty heartbreaking. Uh, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's the way it goes. I'm just fucking used to it now. I mean, uh, to be honest, it's more surprising to me um, that that like right now I'm a part of something that is um, living up to its potential. That like in all ways... Silicon so really, Valley's like, a great show. Yeah, it's 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 such an amazing experience to be supported by a network, by an HBO is gone above and beyond what they need to do and and they love the show so I'm, 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 a, I'm
0: a tough audience but I really like it and I'm in, in like you know uh, T.J. Miller used to bother me but like yeah. I gotta give it to you guys I mean you really they're, they're, and Kumail who I know well yeah. as a comic and you know T.J. I don't know that well but you know he always annoyed me and Josh Brenner is on my show mm. uh, he, he plays my assistant on Marin and he kind of mm. pulled out for three episodes to do my show while he was shooting Silicon Valley So, like, I I feel like I have something personal, like, not at stake, but, like, I would be more judgmental because I know everybody. Mm -hmm. But, like, it works so fucking well. It's so funny. And it's so, like, the ensemble works and and the characters are so well-defined and they seem to really
2: uh, be, you know, great comic characters. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we got really lucky, too, at how open Mike was in the evolution of it. Um, Because I think when I first read the script, I wasn't... Super excited about it. Why? Um, because there was there there was something missing. I think also I'd I'd talked to my friend before I'd read it and he said the same thing. So I already had that in my mind that like maybe this wasn't the best script. Um, but I remember reading it and there are pieces there that are beautiful. But but there was something in the pilot that I mean it's all changed from, yeah. from, from when I read that first right. pilot. But um, aside from what was there was most crucial is what wasn't there which like Kumail and I weren't really a part of it right it was more about the two kind of main guys the guy that runs the house and Thomas's character TJ so, like, and TJ uh, T. and Thomas which one's Thomas? Thomas Middleditch um, oh yeah yeah right so the main guy, main yeah. guy. Um, so it was really kind of about them more and the side characters in the house were just that right and then uh these girls that come up to silicon valley and this b storyline which was these girls who come up to meet rich dudes and fuck them and take their money essentially or like become but they're not rich even in it anymore. They they yeah, they unfortunately just kind of I mean even in reading that first pilot I remember feeling like this isn't like you kind of have to pick right one path. Right. You're either following these girls or you're following these guys. Right. Cuz they don't even really meet up in that first pilot. Yeah. They like barely interact a little right. bit. Right. Um, and, I th- and it's just such a different tone and I think the f- the pilot itself found itself. Uh, God, I hope no one is like feels disrespected when they <laughs> listen uh-huh. to this um, but uh, this is just how I feel about it. Uh, they like the the way that it uh, evolved like really embodies the protagonist like you ha- you have someone to root for uh-huh. and you have this group of guys that came together um, by way of uh, Mike and and um, uh, Dave Krinsky and and Alt Shuler, um like getting on board with the evolution of it, uh-huh. and so like I wasn't a part of the the initial pilot, the script, and neither was Kumail really, mm-hmm. and and so these characters kind of evolved, and they're like, we need this group, And right. s- So the group mentality kind of became a thing, and I th- and that's what it is about, is yeah. Like this group of Really weird guys going on this journey together. Yeah.
0: Well, the 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 satanic element yeah. and the the Crowley stuff. Yeah. Like it seems to be like it, 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 it's kind of something that you know. It seems very suited to you, in in the way that he's sort of like strangely emotionally disconnected, but very r- justified in in his philosophy, mm-hmm. like that he's countering what well, what's probably emotional or, or or insecurity on some level with this this um this dark philosophy. Yeah. Which um well how did you feel about that? What did you resonate with that? Did you have to do research for that? Did you just stick with the script or what did you do?
2: I re- I read um the Satanic Bible. Anton LaVey's book. Anton LaVey's right. Satanic Bible. Yeah. Um I I haven't finished it yet. It's it's quite a read, but it's really interesting. Yeah. Um and that's, that's what kind of informed a lot of... Just be, have a shameless good time. What I brought to it, yeah. Yeah. But it's funny, also coming from this place of um, almost peacefulness, like mm. he's like just... at at such like he has such confidence in himself yeah and seems to be the only one that does yeah and I think it comes from this place of knowing how this is how the world works if everybody read the fucking satanic bible you'd also know that like giving a shit about anything is pointless um
0: that's also sort of on some level in some you know kind of malignant way that Buddhism speaks to some of that yeah not morally
2: right but in existentially it does totally yeah. Were you able to make that connection? Um, I, I mean, I suppose uh, now for sure, but <laughs> <laughs> at the time, I think it was it was purely rooted in this satanic.
0: And and are you having a, a good time?
2: Oh my god! It's uh, I mean I've been really fortunate to be a part of uh, Freaks and Geeks, which uh, uh, I'm mean, just an incredible experience top to bottom, soup to nuts, and then um, party down as well. Just a mm-hmm. great group of people. And the purpose behind both of those shows was very pure, mm-hmm. and this as well. Like I, I to be around—I mean, we're like a family—and to be a part of something where you know that whether this goes or not, whether whether we are forced to be around each other or not, um, by way of HBO picking us up for season after season, um, I'll be friends with these people. These are you know, yeah, these were these are lifelong friends that I've made already.
0: That's that's sweet.
2: Yeah and how many did you do we did eight the first season and uh i believe we're doing either eight or ten the second season yeah,
0: so that just got it got picked up and you guys are going mm-hmm. when do you start shooting we start shooting in october well martin it was great talking to you yeah likewise the time just flew right by. good it was fun too yeah all right well that was great i loved getting to know that guy And I, you know, I don't, um, you know, we, we talked a bit about me going to one of them Buddhist meetings and I don't, what have I got to lose by doing that? Maybe, maybe that would be it. I mean, it seems like, you know, he got a lot of clarity from it. I'm always nervous though. I'm always nervous about going to meetings, but maybe, but maybe I will. I don't even, uh, yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to hang out with him on that level, on a spiritual level. Oh my God. I'm so jacked. I need a nap. I went hiking today. This seems to be coming a tradition, doesn't it? I don't know what I'm gonna do, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I think that we should all celebrate I don't want to do that that rhythm. I feel like I get stuck in like three chords. Maybe. It's like uh, like uh, a little talking blues business isn't it I wish I could sing some like, you know, uh, like, um, I gotta write, maybe I'll write a talking blues about monkey's bladder. I didn't prepare. I'm not prepared. So I really can't do a talking blues because, because I didn't write anything and that's no way to, to do a talking blues. So let's just, Let's just pretend that that I've written a talking blues. And that right now I'm saying like a very important thing that kind of strings itself out like Bob used to do. And you just keep talking and keep talking and you don't know when you're gonna go back to the G and you're kind of waiting an abnormally long time for him to get back to the main verses of his talking blues and then all of a sudden you're in it.
1: Boomer lives!